Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. Alrighty, good morning. Uh, if you notice, when our worship team is up here, and as I'm speaking now, uh, we are all unmasked. And the reason we do that is because every Sunday before we come, we actually take a uh, rapid test beforehand to make sure whether or not we are positive or negative. I've taken, taken three tests this week. They've all been negative. Um, I'm beginning to worry that it's going to affect my personality because I'm so negative. But that's why we are unmasked, uh, and we appreciate your patience and your kindness in continuing to, to wear your masks. But I, would, I wanted to just let you know that so you're not thinking like there's special treatment for a certain group of people, but that we really do take this serious, and uh, we're trying to be as accommodating as possible to all the differences of opinions that are, are out there and that, and that exist as well. So please uh, take that into heart as um, we are unmasked. If you want to open your Bibles, and I know that's kind of weird. Uh, when I say that at youth group now, it's a, a dead statement because no one has their Bibles with them because it's all on your phone. So uh, if you don't have a hand copy of your Bible and you want to take out your phone, we're going to look at Ruth chapter 2. As you're, you're turning there, uh, I wonder if it's a universal cry of many, if not all hearts, to uh, raise the question, do you see me? Can you hear me? Do, do you see me? Whether it's towards God or towards a spouse or towards a child or towards your boss or, or whoever, I think there's just that sort of desire within us to be seen and, and to be heard. And I hope today that as we look at Ruth chapter 2, uh, we'll not only be able to see that's a cry, but how we can actually answer that cry of the heart of many other people. Let's read Ruth chapter 2. I'm from the New Living Translation. We'll read the first 16 verses. It starts with this. Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, All right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Then Boaz asked his foreman, who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, she is the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Do not go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young woman working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting, and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. When you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I'm only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied. 
But I also know everything about you that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I've heard how you left your father and mother in your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. I hope I continue to please you, sir, you replied. You have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I am not one of your workers. At mealtime, Boaz called her, come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine. So she sat with his harvesters and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. She ate all she wanted and she had some left over. And when Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her and let her pick out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. Let's just take a moment. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. I know that was a long portion of scripture, but I hope that it begins to give you a story of what's going on. Father, we want to acknowledge that you are sees. You see everything, you see everyone. But I confess, and I think many of us here confess, sometimes we kind of wonder, do you really see us? When we go through this valley, it seems like it's so dark. You're so invisible. You're so not there. And we wonder. Because that's what happens when you feel like no one's listening and no one sees. We want to trust your word. Where you say that you never leave us and you never forsake us. That your eyes, they look all around the world, back and forth, looking for that person, for those people who love you and whom you can support, who you can let them know that you're real, that you're there, that you care. So I pray when we listen today that our hearts are open to that cry that's in our heart and in everyone that's here today and probably most people, if not all people, that we will run into throughout the week. May we be mindful of your spirit, sensitive to your spirit. Sensitive enough to hear your voice that we might actually speak kindly to others. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you ever feel unappreciated? Anyone here not feel unappreciated? I think we all feel appreciated. Uh, it could be at work, like you really work hard on a project and uh, everybody else gets credit where, you know, like you should be getting some credit and you feel like unappreciated. I'm working so hard. Why doesn't anybody notice? Do you ever feel like when you get home from work and whether it's the spouse or the kids and they, and they just kind of like don't appreciate all that you've done all day or if you've been home all day and I've been on both sides being home and, 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 and coming home from work and, and you're like, I did all this cleaning and somebody goes, Oh, but man, there's the dish in the sink still. How could you? And you feel unappreciated, right? Am I the only one? Parents, how about an amen? All the things that you do for your kids, you're working hard, and then one thing you say no to, and, what are they, and all help breaks loose, right? What? You never let me do anything. You're so mean. You're so terrible. How come I only get a few shaky heads? Am I the only person, <laughs> only parent that's a horrible parent that says no? Yeah, sometimes you just really feel unappreciated. Nobody sees what I do. Ignition. 
all of that. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair at all. How many of you have ever been seen or heard? How does that make you feel? How do you react to that? A few weeks ago, um, in youth group, I was sharing, and I asked the students, I said, if you had, if you really know me, if you had to tell me what emotion do I feel internally, what emotion do you think I feel the most? So I'm going to ask you that. What, anybody want to shout out there and give an answer? Angry? Who said that? I'm angry that you said that. How could you? <laughs> well, it was interesting because initially the kids were like, oh, no, it's love, it's love, it's love. And then Evelyn, who's not here, is upstairs. Uh, she goes, anger. But she kind of said it like this, like, anger? <laughs> and and I, I felt so warm because she got me. You know, she's been listening. And, and Patty, even though I'm a little angry that you said that, I still know the fact that you got me. You, you've been listening. You, you've been hearing hearing me. I remember three years ago going through a, a rough time uh, personally, really difficult. We're on a youth group retreat. And Elijah Lee, which I think he's hiding here somewhere, and, and he looks at me and goes, you get me. You get me. And, and it was like a mutual uh, experience because he's heard. Someone's listening to who he is, what he's going through. And then to say, wow, you actually get that was very encouraging. To be seen, to be heard, I think is kind of that cry of our hearts. I want to be appreciated. I work so hard, I do this, and I want to be seen. And so I think this story of Ruth is not only going to help us see what God does, but what God calls us to do when we have experienced life and experience it with other people. Now, what's the context? If you have the monster, if you could put up Judges 21-25 for us, it reads this way. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what is right in his own eyes. So basically, the context of the book of Ruth as a whole is that in Israel, people are living for themselves. Uh, it's a culture that, like today, we would say, you be you. You know, if, if you want to do something, you be you. If it's right in your eyes, you feel good about it, just do it. It doesn't matter because anyone who keeps you from being you is, is an oppressor. They're trying to, to push you down. And the biggest oppressor of all is probably God because God calls us to do certain things. So here in ancient Israel, the context is pretty simple. Everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes, which leads us to the specific context of the book of Ruth. So if you could bring that up for me. And it reads this way. And I have the ish there because it's not the whole one through five. But it says pretty clearly, now it came about in the days when the judges governed. In other words, when everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes, there was a famine in the land. And the reason, quite possibly, the famine in the land is, <coughs> is due to the fact that they have wandered away from God. Now, a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to reside in the land of Moab with his wife and two sons. So they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech died. Then both Malan and Kilian also died, and the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. That woman is Naomi. Naomi is in a foreign land, and she's basically lost her family except for her two daughters-in-law. And uh, they're coming back because Naomi hears, hey, there's food. The famine is over. Come back. So she's coming back. And uh, one daughter-in-law says, you know, I'm out of here. And the other one, who is Ruth, says, I'm going to stick with you. They come back to Bethlehem, and they are impoverished. They have nothing. Which then brings us here to chapter 2 when we're reading it, 
and we see that Ruth says, hey, Naomi, we are like hungry. We are starving. And the law allows us as poor people to go and glean from the properties. We have to follow the harvesters. But whatever is left out, we get to have. So can I do that? And Naomi says, sure, go ahead. Go ahead and do that. So that's our specific context. Now, one quick encouragement. When you read the Bible, look for things that are repeated. And so I'm going to talk about a few things, two things specifically, that I think I repeated in Ruth chapter 2. And the first one is this, is that Ruth is noticed or recognized or acknowledged as a foreigner. As a foreigner. If we could put that up for us, brothers. The author says it in verse 2. One day, Ruth the Moabite. The foreman says it later on. He says, she is the young woman from Moab. When talking to Boaz, she says, I'm only a foreigner. Why are you so kind to me? I'm only a foreigner. And he says, yes, I know. In four instances, quite basically, what you see is that Ruth is a foreigner. She's different. She sticks out. Like right now, how many of you are wearing costumes for Halloween? Right now here. Well, you're, you know, you don't know it's a headpiece. Who knows? You know, maybe you're just having a weird hair day or something. I don't know. Well, you're not, but I'm just saying. But uh, right away, I'm looking out there, and what do I see? I see Grace Chang walking by with a hamburger. Cheeseburger. Cheeseburger, cheeseburger, no Coke. Pepsi only. Okay, anyway, for all you Saturday Night Live people. Anyway, she sticks out, right? I mean, that's kind of foreign-ish. Not that she's a foreigner, but it's foreign-ish because everyone else is kind of dressed up. Well, then I'm looking over and I see Andy and then I see a few other people. But they stick out. See, Ruth sticks out. She's a foreigner. Everybody knows that she's a foreigner. She's this different person. I don't know if it was skin color. I don't know if it was the way she dressed. I don't know if it was accent. Maybe she's something like, y'all, what y'all doing here? I have no idea what it was. But everyone, when they saw Ruth, said, hey, look, there's Ruth the Moabite. In this chapter, everyone recognizes, even Ruth herself says, I am a foreigner. She is quite obviously very different. And I think that's important because everyone sees Ruth, right? There's no one not seeing Ruth. They're not going, who is that? I don't, I don't know who that is. I, I, don't, I don't have my glasses on. I can't see that far. No, what they're saying is, hey, I see her. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's Ruth. Ruth, that's, that's the Moabite. That's the foreign lady. That's the lady that really doesn't belong here because she's different from us. She's from another country. In fact, she's from an alien country, an enemy country. She's just different. So when you see that repeated, it's a big part of the story. No one really sees Ruth for who Ruth is. But I think that's going to change as we go on with the story because we're going to see quite secondly that she's probably been mistreated because she's a foreigner. Uh, let's look at it again. Verse 9, what does Boaz says? Boaz comforts her. And he says, I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water that they have drawn from the well. In other words, he's saying, you've probably been mistreated. People haven't treated you well, but I'm going to act in kindness. And I want you, when you want water, you go get it. Okay? You know, I've told my guys, please, treat her with kindness. Don't treat her roughly. Ruth responds, after Boaz is blessed, and she says, she fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. Like, dude, what is up with you? I'm Ruth, the Moabite. I'm a foreigner. Why have you treated me? What have you done? What have I have done to deserve such kindness? Why are you so kind to me? Does that make sense? I'm a foreigner. Get it? What, what, what's wrong with you? Ruth responds again later on, after Boaz has spoken to her, and he says, she says, you have comforted me. 
by speaking so kindly to me. And finally, Boaz instructs his boys. Once again, listen, guys, listen carefully. You know, like when parents, when we say something twice, we mean it. When we use your middle name, we mean it. And he's saying twice to his guys, he says, listen, don't give her a hard time. Treat this foreigner, this different woman, with kindness. Now, when I say that, I want you to know the problem is not the fact that she's a woman. And the problem is not the fact that she's a foreigner. I'm just telling you, that's the perspective of the way people see her. I'm not saying it's right. I mean, it's just their perspective. And they have not treated her kindly. Because again, four times you see this constant theme, kindness, kindness, kindness. She's shocked. Someone has actually treated me with kindness? What's going on here? I can't believe this. I don't know. Um, it would almost be like if you put me in a situation where, you, where, you, where sarcasm was required. And I wasn't sarcastic. Who did that? <laughs> Man, brother. <laughs> right? It, it's where, where a, a dad joke was required. And I stayed silent. Something's not right here. And so Ruth is like, this is not, this is kind of weird, man. So I think if I'm reading this correctly, because four times we see this, that Ruth has been mistreated. Probably severely. And the fact that someone is actually extending kindness to her is shocking. Like, why? Why are you so good to me? So Ruth is a foreigner. She's probably been mistreated by everybody until Boaz comes along, but yet her life is changed. Her life's going to be changed because at this moment, again, let me remind you, everyone has seen her and they know her as Ruth the Moabite, the foreigner. They may know what she's done, but it doesn't matter because she's a foreigner. She's different than us. She could have done all these really good things like she was taking care of her mother-in-law, but that doesn't matter because she's a foreigner. But Boaz comes along and Boaz doesn't say, hey, Ruth the Moabite. And as you'll see much throughout the rest of the book of, of, of Ruth, he talks to her as though she is Ruth. It is now at this point when Boaz actually extends kindness to her, telling those around him to extend kindness to her, that Ruth is finally been seen. Someone finally sees Ruth for who Ruth is. She's Ruth. She's not Ruth the Moabite. She's Ruth. Now, I'm not trying to take away ethnicity either that it doesn't matter. I'm not saying that at all. But in this story, in this context, it doesn't matter to God. Ruth is a person worthy of respect, worthy of honor, worthy to be loved, worthy to be seen, worthy to be heard. And so when we go, we're going through this story, there's kind of like a, a feeling that when you feel unappreciated, when you feel like no one is listening to you, when you feel like no one sees you, God does. You see, because the crazy thing about this story is that Ruth and Naomi need help. They need help from someone, and it would be really cool if they could get help from someone who's in their family. Guess what? Boaz is that person. You see, all along in this story, God has seen Ruth. He's never stopped seeing Ruth, but he's always seen Ruth. And now he's orchestrating events to bring Ruth to a place, as well as Naomi, where they are in poverty, where they have to go scrounge 
food, where no one is taking care of them, where everyone is looking down at them. I mean, people are looking down at Naomi. People are looking down at Ruth. But Boaz comes along and he changes her life because he stops looking at her as everyone else has seen her. And he really, truly sees her. Here's why I think it matters. How do we know that God has really seen Ruth? <clears throat> Let me put it this way. I once had someone come up to me and say, you know, during, during that conflict that we had, I prayed for you. It's really nice, right? In my mind, though, I was like, so what? You prayed for me, but you didn't talk to me. You didn't see me for who I was. You didn't see what's going on. You didn't try to understand the situation. So even though you prayed for me, it really means nothing to me. And so if, if everyone came up to Ruth afterwards and said, hey, Ruth, we prayed for you. We might have mistreated you. We didn't give you food. We didn't take, but we prayed for you. Or we, we, we didn't say anything bad. We didn't do anything terrible, but we prayed for you. So what? And I'm not trying to be mean. I was reading in this class, I have this work, I'm taking this class, and part of the work was one of the writers said, you know, it's, it's really great to pray for people, but why not be the answer to that prayer? And I wonder, this is just absolutely wondering at this moment, I wonder if Boaz knew who she was and he prayed for her, and when he had the opportunity, he actually did something. This passage matters because God doesn't just drop an Old Testament down on Ruth and say, here, read the first five books and know that I am a God who cares and loves and will take care of you. That doesn't happen. And it doesn't happen today either. God's just not throwing New Testaments down from heaven and saying, here, read this and find about Jesus. And when you find out about Jesus, you'll experience all the love that God has for you. No, what God does is he uses people. You see, how many of you have been watching the uh, Marvel's What If on, on Disney? Okay, one person, Ming. Am I the only person? Okay, don't be afraid. Okay, very interesting. A, a little weird, but very interesting. And the character that bothers me the most is the Watcher. The dude just sits there and watches. Watching you drink your coffee. Watching you wave. Doing nothing. And I'm watching this, and he sees all this pain. And, and you think, to yourself, dude, do something. And that's the beauty of God. God is not like the watcher. God's not up there going, wow, this is really cool, man. Humanity's really messed up. Man, they're just like totally out of it. Like, yeah, okay, let them get whatever. You know, they're just whatever. I'm just watching. No, God is active. God is involved. All along, he's orchestrating events for Ruth to bring her to a place where she will meet this kinsman redeemer who will help change her life completely. And now she's met him. You see, this message matters is because what God does is he raises up Boaz to be that very person who will see Ruth, who will be the instrument that says, Ruth, God sees you. Because what does Boaz say? I know who you are. Yeah, you're Ruth the Moabite, even though he doesn't say that. You're Ruth. You know, and I know that you've been taking care of Naomi. Everyone sees that. But I see you. You know why? Because God sees you. And this is why it's important, because what is the time period? Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. Except Boaz. Cool thing about this story. Boaz is not like everybody else doing what is right in his eyes. He is doing what is right in God's eyes. 
All throughout Ruth chapter 2, you see him giving instructions to his workers. Follow the law. You know, he's like, hey, dudes, the Lord bless you. And they say, the Lord bless you. Here is a man, a godly man, following what God wants him to do in a culture that is not necessarily following after God. Boaz is unique. Boaz is different. Boaz is obedient. And because he's obedient, he can be sensitive to the work of God in his life so that he can actually see Ruth for who Ruth is. (coughs) Here's why I believe this is important as well. Because eventually I believe we have to get to a place where if you're Ruth, be Ruth. If you're Boaz, be Boaz. <clears throat> How many of you have seen the movie uh, or the, the Broadway play, Dear, Dear uh, Evan Hansen? And how many of you have seen uh, the Netflix series, 13 Reasons? Okay, not a lot of you. I mean, it's a rough series. I would encourage you to, to watch it. I, I'll be honest with you. Disclaimer, uh, there's language. Um, there's sexuality, a whole bunch of stuff that's just, it's kind of hard to watch because it's painful. And 13 reasons the most has stuck out to me, and I'm going to ruin the story here for you, but it's still good to watch because even though I knew what was going to happen, it still happened, it still impacted me powerfully, but it's the story of a young high school girl that no one really sees. No one really hears. And so she writes 13 tapes or records 13 tapes and sends to people and says, listen, I took my life, because in the end she takes her life, and here's why I did, and you are one of the reasons why. And by the time I got to the 13th episode, I, like the last 10 minutes, after I saw what happened to her, and why she finally broke and said, no one sees me, I mean nothing, I have, I have, I'm worthless, I have no value whatsoever, and as she's getting ready to take her life, I'm at the kitchen table, and I remember this, it still holds on to me, and I'm shouting at the computer, and I'm saying, don't do it. Don't do it. And I know she's going to do it, but I'm, I'm angry and I'm crying and I'm yelling at this computer. And I thank God no one else is home because they, they would have thought I was weird. But I'm just screaming and hollering. And she does it and it broke my heart. And it, it made me think for one minute in that show, wouldn't it have been really cool if there was a Christian high school student who said, I see you. God sees you. And, and it, it's like three or four years, maybe five years since I've seen it. It still bothers me and brings up that emotion because what I wanted to see was just someone to say, hey, you are seen. You matter. You have value. You are important. Where is that Boaz that would come and say that to her? Bothered me. Still bothers me. It's one of the hopes that I have for our high school students uh, our youth group, that maybe one day they get to actually experience being a Boaz to a Ruth and saying, I see you. Maybe even changing a person's life. But you know what? That's not really a youth group message only, is it? Isn't it an us message? How many of us here today, don't raise your hands, and our hearts are crying out, I wish someone would see me. I wish someone would hear me, would stop and listen to me. And, and it's, you know, you might think, oh, you know, that's just kind of, it's kind of a wimpy Christianity that's all touchy-feely kind of stuff. Get me away from that. I don't think it's that at all. There's a lot of people I know, 
warriors, men who say, no one sees me, and they take their lives. My friend, a, a former youth pastor, he took his life because no one saw him. That bothers me. Because I was his friend. I didn't see that. See, this matters because there are a lot of people who are Ruth out there, and they're saying, can someone please stop? Look me in the eyes. Listen and say that you care even in the midst of all of my mess. Because Ruth is a mess. She's a foreigner. Nobody is treating her kindly. They're living in poverty. No one sees them. She could just say, I give up. <coughs> I said, I'm going to follow this God. And what has it gotten us? Nothing. Something about her continues to persevere in the midst of her difficult situation. And she's probably hoping and praying, I sure hope someone sees me. And when someone actually sees her, she's shocked. Why are you so kind to me? The message that I feel today is twofold. I, I think we need to be Ruth, if we are Ruth, and cry out. And say, hey, would somebody please see me? Would somebody please listen to me? And then to be Boaz. Can we flip to the application part? Here's where I want to land this plane. <clears throat> Who needs to sue you? See you, not sue you. Hopefully you never get sued. Who needs to see you? And as I was thinking about this message, it was very easy to put myself in the place of Ruth. And say, hey, I've been through experiences previous churches, life experiences, harvest, where I feel like, hey, why don't you see me? Sit down and talk with me without making this judgment that you made and really understand where I'm coming from. But, but who really needs to see? And when I did that, I finally said to myself, here's the problem with this. Who are people that I haven't seen? Who is someone that I have overlooked? Who is someone that I have passed over? Maybe I haven't mistreated them like Ruth was mistreated. Maybe I've ignored or neglected to be a, a part of their lives. I would imagine that during the 18 months of COVID, if you went to harvest and no one contacted you, what should be your legitimate response? Don't you see me? Don't I matter? We're going through all of this and no one has seen me. And I thought to myself, oh God, I've got to imagine that there are people even here today or maybe even upstairs in youth group that are sitting there and saying, that man is not Boaz to me. He has not seen me. He has not heard me. He does not care. Where is he? Why isn't he doing something? And so I want to open to you, one, if I'm that person in your life, if I'm that Israelite who has neglected you or been, please, don't be afraid. And I know most, no, no one ever takes me up on this. Write me a hate email, I don't care what it is. As long as you want to be seen and heard, I want to apologize. Please do that. But that might be for all of us. Because I know even now there are people here who are sitting here, which I could really say, you haven't seen me. You have not heard me. You have not listened, and I really don't feel like you care. I can say that. If I can say that where I'm standing, I've got a guarantee there's a lot of you here that are thinking the same thing. Right? Do we get an amen on that or not? You don't have to, but there's that sense of, I don't feel it. So if you're there and you feel like that's how you feel, please, please feel the freedom and kindness and grace to come and say, you have not seen me. You have offended me. 
let me finish with this then. Who do you need to see? Who do you need to see? Who do you need to be Boaz to? And I know that's crazy, but wouldn't that be kind of cool if that was one of our signs? Like, who were you to Boaz this? Who were you as Boaz this week? Who saw you as Boaz? Who came up to you and said, hey, uh, you did a Boaz thing to me, man. That kind of sounds like, that kind of sounds like really nice though, doesn't it? <laughs> Boaz. Who are you kind to? Who do you need to be kind to? There might be someone here sitting here, and, and if you saw Dear Evan Hansen, and I, and I raised that up, and, um, but if you saw it, one of the things that struck me about that movie was even the most popular girl in the school was on meds for depression. Don't you ever say, why are you on, you are popular, man. You got it going on, girl. Everything is happening. It's because nobody sees me. Nobody hears me. All this pressure to do and do and do and do and be and do and be. Nobody's listening. Who is that person in your life? You may not recognize it. In here, there may be anywhere from 5 to 25 or maybe even all of us that are sitting there and saying, no one's paying attention to me. No one's seeing me. They may be here. And as a Boaz, maybe there's 25 or even all of us who can be Boaz and come out to that person and say, I see you. God cares. Yeah, you know what? You're a mess. Let's all be honest. I'm a mess. I got anger issues, right? Patty says, amen, brother. I have anger issues. I've got a lot of other issues. But how much we appreciate the fact that when someone comes alongside of us and just cares, I'm going to listen. That's it. I don't, I don't even, the one thing I like about the program that in, I don't even have to give advice. I'm not saying I'm not going to give advice. That's not the pressure. The pressure is to be there. Boaz was there and expressed kindness. If he could meet a need, he met it. And he did. That's the power of Boaz. It's not just going to be, oh, Ruth, I will pray for you. I will pray God finds a place for you and you get blessed. He says, you know what? I've been praying about you and I'm the answer. As treat you with kindness and I'm going to bless you with food and I'm going to ultimately take care of you and all the great things that happen because Ruth's life will be changed because Boaz came along and he saw her for who she was. Not some Moabite, but for a daughter-in-law, a person, a woman who really went out of her way to take care of somebody else. God saw that and said, now as you have been a blessing, I shall bless you. So who do you need to be Boaz this week? Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe you haven't really seen or listened to or heard your spouse. Maybe it's a coworker or a neighbor or maybe even one of your children. And this is, and I, maybe we don't hear this, but as a youth pastor, one of the things that I hear a lot of times from kids is, my mom and dad don't listen to me. Well, we, we, we all, no, 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 I do this too. So I'm not like saying like if you're one of those parents. You know, my kids not listening to me. Yes, I am. I'm the boss. You do what I say. Okay, point proven, right? I'm not listening to you right now. I'm telling you what it is. But they tell me, my mom, my dad, whoever it is, they're not listening to me. So it could be one of your children. It could be a sibling. 
It could be somebody. But I almost feel like every day or at least once a week, God brings a Ruth into our lives and they're crying out, would someone listen to me, please? And we get to be Boaz, an ambassador, a representative of Jesus Christ to say, God cares, God loves you, where you're at, as messed up as you are, because I'm messed up too. And he says he loves you. And I want to be here with you. Because God sees you. God hears you. God loves you. That's why I like to end my conversations with a simple thing that I stole from Harvest Bible Chapel, which was, remember, you are loved. Because you are. And God sees you. And he wants us to be an army of Boazes who go out into our world and we see those Ruths, those foreigners, those left out, those marginalized, those in pain. And he says, go to them and let them know, I see, I hear, I love, and I care. That's the church. That's the community of Jesus. To come alongside of people with their pain. And to be with them. Not to judge, because you know a lot of times when we judge, we wrong. To be alongside people who are crying out, is God real? If so, show yourself. And God says, today I introduce you to Boaz. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you know me like no one else knows, and you know how many times I have come before you and said, God, really no one's listening right now. Father, I have to imagine my experience is normal. I think going on a limb... And I may be wrong, most if not all of us have felt that weight of unappreciation, have felt that someone is not listening to us, someone is not hearing us, someone basically just doesn't care. They got their way, they're going to do it their way, that's the end of it, over. In some way, shape, and form, we've all been Ruth. Maybe in the darkness of our situation, some well-meaning person has come along and they have said some really painful things when they should have just been there. I'm reminded of Job's comforters. They were excellent when they were silent. There with him in his pain. And then once they opened their mouth, it went downhill. God, I pray. We are your hands. We are your feet. We are your heart. I pray with all of the Ruths that are out there in the world that we live in that you will raise up a whole bunch of Boaz type people who will stand in the gap, who will express your compassion, 
who will express your love, who will express your concern, and will say, God sees you. Because I see you. Not because I'm God. Because I'm a mess. I might be in a bigger mess than you are. But all I know is right now, God is speaking to me. And God wants to say, I see you. I hear you. I love you. I care for you. And God, don't let us think that nobody needs you. Because sometimes we think in our minds, you know what, that person, they got it all together, man. How many movie stars, millionaires, billionaires, can we think of that have taken their lives because they lost hope, because they believed no one cared, no one heard, no one saw? There is no one who is immune to being a Ruth. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be a Boaz. I pray, God, let us be Boaz-type people wherever we go. Even in the next hour as we sit here and converse. Because it might be that one moment where you turn to someone here at harvest and you say, you know what? God sees you. Yeah, let me pray for you, but let me meet the need too. How can I help you? How can I walk with you? How can I be there? And not just for the emergency, not just for the crisis, but for life, because we're family. I pray to you, Father, where those of us, people like me, who need to say, you know what, I'm sorry that I have not seen you. I have not listened. I have not heard. I have not cared. That we can extend mercy and grace even in that, even in my weakness, even in my failure. Our Father, you are in heaven. We walk this earth as your ambassadors. Maybe be your hands, maybe be your feet, maybe be your heart, wherever we go. And you know what? If we're Ruth at the moment, it might not be easy to be a Boaz. And I think that's okay. Because Ruth and Naomi in their difficult situation, we're down and out. Might not have had the energy, the courage, the strength, whatever, to be Boaz's. But when Boaz came and changed their lives, their lives would change. And so would a nation. I pray that for our church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.